0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, Almira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. Thank you. All right, Harold said I can share his spot over here today. Apparently, I'm. There we go, let's do it. All right, well, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm prepared, I've got some ice water. I've got this to pat myself down. I apologize in advance. I feel very comfortable in February, so you can appreciate how I'm feeling here today. (laughs) All right. So, question perhaps for some of those that are a little closer to my age, our age. Does anybody know what that is in the top right-hand corner? Want to shout it out if you know? It's a 2.22. 2.22. Does that mean anything to people? Yep, my mom had a bottle of 222s in her shelf at all times because she suffered from migraines. And I, I thought of that as I thought of the message here today as we look at Psalm 19. And I want to talk about three twos. And the first way is the two ways that God speaks, the two values of God's word, and two ways we should respond to his word. And I'm going to read again the verses that we had just heard. I'm going to start with the first six. So if you've got a Bible of your own, we're in Psalm 19, or if you've got a device, feel free to look at it, or it's going to be up there on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into the earth their words to the ends of the world in the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion like a champion rejoicing to run his course it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other nothing is hidden from its heat so two ways god speaks the first is through his creation there's been a number of books written about how you connect with God. And it was really good for me to, to read some of these books and understand because it's very different for different people. Some people are traditionalists, something I cannot relate to at all. My cousin is one of those. She goes to a church where everything is extremely formal. They read the same things every week. And she loves it. She connects to God through that. She's a traditionalist. There's caregivers. They do it by providing primary care. There's enthusiasts. There's enthusiasts. They get it in worship time, just exuberant worship. I've got a friend like that as well, and he's dancing and screaming, and that's how he connects with God. There's intellectuals, those that uh, do it through understanding. Apologists would be some of those that connect with God through that understanding. And then there's naturalists. They connect with God through creation. And that one I can connect with because that's me. My favorite God times are taking a hike, uh, doing a trail run, cross-country skiing in the winter. I connect with God in those times. And I've had the privilege of seeing some pretty amazing things in my time. On previous business trips, I flew in Japan and flew by Mount Fuji and got to see that close up. Um, We've been on vacation in Switzerland and on an adjoining or a neighboring mountain to the Matterhorn and seeing it up close It was incredible. A couple of years ago, we got to go to Israel. We went and uh, we went to Masada, and we looked down into the area. It was incredible, even here in Canada, from the west coast to the East Coast. We've seen some incredible things. How about you? Can you remember a time and a, a place you can even close your eyes and remember it again, where you were just in complete awe? in creation, where you saw something and it just took your breath away. Maybe it was a sunrise that was special or this incredible, colorful sunset. What it did, though, it, there was this inexplicable sense of awe. You couldn't explain it any way else of what you were seeing. You know, to me, God's creation is this gift. In James 1:17, it says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. I'm reading a book, it's called Peak Performance, and uh, it's about how to elevate your game and to avoid burnout. And it's neat, it mentions a lot of studies as it goes through. And one of the studies they reference is a 2008 study. There was a University of Michigan professor. His name's Mark Berman. And he wondered why so many of the great creators of the past, they had a ritual that involved a walk out in nature every single day. So he took two uh, random groups of undergrad students, and uh, he had them take this really difficult cognitive test. And then after that, the two groups separated. And one, they had a break that was in a secluded area, like a park, very quiet area. The other had their break in an urban area, in the middle of the city. Then after that, they undertook a subsequent cognitive test, a difficult one. And they looked at the results. Those that took the break in the natural setting significantly outperformed those that had taken it in the city. Now, they recognized accessing a secluded park is probably easier here in Elmira, but if you're in a big city, that's really difficult to do. He wondered, could you get the effect some other way? So they did the same test again. They did that difficult test, and then they looked, instead of going to a secluded area, the one group looked at pictures of nature. That's all they looked at for that break. The other group looked at pictures of just an urban setting. The amazing thing is the results were exactly the same. Those that looked at the natural setting significantly outperformed those that had looked at the urban setting. And what they concluded was nature inherently makes us feel good and improves our mood, thereby hastening our transition from hard work to a more restful state and improving our performance. There was another study in this book that I heard about, and it went even further. It actually showed that nature changes our biology. Another researcher, her name was, uh, is Jennifer Steller. she found that, that emotion we were talking about, that emotion of awe when we see nature, Um, is linked to lower levels of something called IL-6. If anybody knows something about the body, it's a molecule that's associated with chronic inflammation. And when she was asked, listen, how does nature, just viewing nature, actually change that biology? She said, experiencing awe makes us feel more connected to the universe and more humble. These feelings probably make us switch off our stress response in turn lessening inflammation. You know, and and I buy into all of that. I love reading about this stuff, because to me it shows what God did. But the problem in culture that I see today is uh, that they tend to worship the created rather than the creator. You've heard it, mother nature, right? I try to understand, I really try to understand, but to me it's kind of like crediting the painting rather than the painter, right? Oh, Mona Lisa, you're so beautiful. Well done, Mona. Sorry, Da Vinci. Sistine Chapel. Wow, you are gorgeous. Well done in creating yourself. Sorry, Michelangelo. It just doesn't make too much sense to me. I believe you want to, you have to not want to believe in God when you see creation around you. And the Bible backs that up. In Romans 1.20 it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without an excuse. So how does God speak to us? Number one, he speaks to us through his creation. Let's keep reading. Let's see how else he speaks to us. Verses seven to nine, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. So how's the second way that God speaks to us? He speaks to us through his word. And you know what? There's something really powerful about his word. I've heard Christians so often say, you know what, I have heard that verse a hundred times and it's meant nothing to me, but today it has. Have you ever experienced it? I'm I'm sure you have. Where you're going, man, I know I've heard that since I was a kid, but this time it spoke to me very specifically. Why is it? Why is there something special about this word? Well Hebrews 4:12 says for the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart have you ever felt that have you ever felt the sting or the cut that comes from the scripture, if you're being convicted of something, maybe convicted of of unwise behavior or convicted of sin, man, I have felt that for sure. Have you ever felt the compassion of God where you're going through something very difficult and you read his word and you just feel him just grabbing you with his arms and giving you a big hug? I'm gonna let you do something now that I bet Darcy doesn't let you do too often. I'm gonna let you Google something on your phone, okay? Not everyone has to do it, but if you've got one ready, How many copies have been sold of the best-selling book series in history, Harry Potter? If somebody's got it, go look at it. How many copies sold of the best-selling book series in history, the Harry Potter series? While you're doing that, did you know that more than 800 million copies have been sold of the Quran? And the same amount, over 800 million copies of the quotations of Mao Zedong, which shouldn't be surprising with the population in China. Anybody get the answer to the first question for Harry Potter? 500 million. 500 million. Well done. There's over 500 million copies of that book sold. That's incredible. But i got to tell you, all of this is a race for second. Because if you, according to Wikipedia, according to the Guinness World Book of Records, the number one selling book of all time is this one with over 5 billion copies sold and distributed. And yes, some are gathering dust on the shelves, as I heard. But over five billion. Why is that? Because this one has an unfair advantage. We read it, right? This one is alive and active. And shouldn't be surprising that it's sold ten times more than the next closest. And what do we get out of that book? One of the things we get out of it is wisdom. You may say, you know what, I, I, I don't consider myself all that intelligent. I don't consider myself all that knowledgeable. But you know what's really interesting when you read this book? The thing that God places emphasis on is something called wisdom. And wisdom's amazing because it's available to everyone. In James 1, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and he will give to you generously. I have a friend who many years ago said, Roland, did you know that there are 31 chapters in Proverbs? He said, it is perfect for me because I read one every single day, every month. And not surprisingly, he's one of the wisest people I know. If you read the beginning of Proverbs, it says, "They they were written to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, and to make wise men wiser. Acquiring wisdom helps us avoid pitfalls, and it helps us live a life that God intends for you and your family. My favorite proverb is a tongue-in-cheek one, because that's kind of my sense of humor. Proverbs 4, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is, get wisdom. So Psalm 19 showed us two ways that God speaks. Now we're going to look at two values of God's word. So we're going to read on to verse 10. He mounted, sorry, that's correct. uh, Yes, I'll move on to Psalm 19 again. There we go. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Number one, value of God's word is it has intrinsic value. More valuable than gold, sweeter than honey. David used two of the most valuable commodities at the time, to express the value of the word. Gold was reserved only for the wealthy, typically royalty at the time, and King David knew that well. I read an article recently, and it talked about the value of the gold that uh, King David had donated to the uh, construction of the temple, which his son Solomon ended up constructing. And today's value of the gold, just that he donated, would be $158 billion. But what did David say? He said, his word is more valuable than gold. When it came to sweets, unfortunately, Israel was lacking in the uh, candy aisle. There was no sweet tarts, sweet Marie, chocolate bars. When they wanted something sweet, they craved something sweet. It was honey, and it was a delicacy at the time. So everyone that read these words understood that. And what did they say? His word was sweeter than honey. Let's keep reading to verse 11. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So what's the second value of God's word? It has personal value. As a leadership team at at Woodside, we felt that some teaching was necessary through the COVID period, certainly as we got to the end of it. And so we published something called Encouragement in Crisis. It's a seven-part video series. It was made up of little 10-minute videos. I'm not sure if any of you had seen them. And the first one was called Watch Your Life and Your Doctrine. And a number of years ago, Colleen and I had a Bible study, and some of the folks here came to the Youth Bible Study. And I was doing one on 1 Timothy 4.16. And there I came across the preacher Charles Spurgeon. And he was arguably the most influential preacher of the 19th century. He's even been called the Prince of Preachers. There are over 63 volumes containing more than 3,400 of his sermons. He trained more than 800 seminary students. And what I thought was really noteworthy was the very first volume, the very first sermon that he wrote the one that he thought was important to convey to these students, these future leaders of the church. And it was called the minister's self-watch. The thing that Spurgeon found most important to convey to his students came from 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If you want to have any chance of doing well in a crisis, it's going to begin with you. It's going to begin with your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to begin with your understanding of the Word. If you have a firm understanding of doctrine, you will be able to watch your life closely. During COVID, I, I frequently looked at the fruits of the spirit, which are found in Galatians 5:22 to23. And sometimes I would just sit there and I would go through them and I'd say, end of the day, Roland, how did you do today demonstrating love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? And I have to be honest with you guys, there are many times where I said, sucky. Am I allowed to say that here in church? I did sucky on that day demonstrating those things. And you know what I love? God is so gracious, right? When you're in that place and you've done poorly, when you run to him and say, man, I have not done well in those areas. And you know what? Me doing poorly in those areas had nothing to do with Colleen. It had nothing to do with my boss, my coworkers, my father, my mother, my siblings, it had nothing to do with Justin Trudeau, it had nothing to do with Doug Ford, the World Economic Forum, Big Pharma. It had everything to do with me and my relationship with Jesus. I've got to tell you, as, as eldership, somebody that's in leadership, we've got some responsibilities, and some of them are tough. One of them comes from instructions that say that we are to, um, we are to correct rebuke and encourage with gentle instruction. So I'm going to do a little of the former. I was frankly disappointed with so many Christians during this pandemic. I was saddened by the number who effectively evangelical Christians who ripped Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 out of their Bibles. Honoring those in authority is not a suggestion. It's a command in the book of of the Bible, in God's word. It's a command. And those who choose not to listen to it, he's actually given a promise. The promise is not good if we rebel because we are rebelling against God. As Christians, we may disagree, but we may never, ever disrespect. Understand that as a follower of Christ, God's word is your lifeline. I mean, we have to prepare in advance of these wars and understand in advance what they mean the word illuminates our path it says in um, in psalm 119 thy word is a lamp unto my feet a light unto my path david understood that as we read in verse 11 we, we were just reading in psalm nineteen eleven, by god's precepts your servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward And fathers, mothers here, anyone leading anyone, they are depending on you to walk well. They are depending on you to understand this doctrine and to live it out. Because if you do, you save both yourself and your hearers. Conversely, if you do not, you may lose yourself and you may lose your hearers. All right, moving on, we've looked at two ways that God speaks. We've looked at two values of God's word. And now finally, we're going to look at two ways we should respond to his word. And we're going to read from verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Two ways we should respond to his word. Number one is personal repentance. We talked about the personal value of scripture and how it can be helpful for pointing things out like unwise behavior or even sin. So what do we do when God's word points that out? We repent. We repent quickly. David rhetorically asks, who can forgive my hidden faults? It's rhetorical. The Lord Jesus Christ can forgive His faults, our faults, but it's only when we come and we repent. And as Christians, we have to live this life of continual repentance. This is an everyday thing. You know, I I may sin a little less than I did when I was younger, but the biggest difference in my Christian life is the speed in which I repent today. I don't really understand, as I look back when I was younger, why I hung on to this stuff, I was stubborn. I was like, yeah, I felt it. You feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit, but then you block it out or you give all sorts of excuses while you're acting that way. But maybe as I get older, maybe I'm just tired. It's just like, you know, I know I'm heading there anyway, so I'm just going to repent quickly. And that's that life of that continual repentance. And why do we do it? I mean, God's so gracious. Like, why do we wait? Is he going to hit us over the head when we come to him? He loves it when we come to him. And we say, man, I screwed up. Lord, I screwed up. Would you forgive me? And you go to the others that you messed up with. Honey, I'm sorry. And you don't need to say that often. If we look at the scriptures, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, nine. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I tell you, I want powerful prayers. And this is where it starts. It starts with repentance. If you want powerful prayers, repent. When God uses his word to point out our sins, there's only one acceptable response, and that's repentance. Let's move on to the last verse here, to verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The second way that we should respond to God's word is personal surrender. This verse 14, take a look at it. This is a prayer that needs to be our personal prayer each and every day. Something that we spend time doing after we read the word of God. Lord, may the words that come out of my mouth on this day and the things that I meditate on today, would it be acceptable to you? You, Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. This is my personal prayer, and this is my prayer for you individually, these wonderful people, a part of Citizens Church, a church that we at Woodside pray for often as members and a church that we pray for regularly as elders. God bless you. Amen.